0: Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Hello, welcome to episode four. Can you believe we're on episode four already? This is incredible. Today, I have my friends from LMS. So we'll get into a little bit about LMS in a minute. but how is everyone? Are you being creative? Are you working on your house? What are you up to? Shoot me an email at Robinson at ready co. Love to hear from you. Um, I know for me personally, I'm utilizing this time to work on projects where I would always tell people if I had more time, I would do X, Y, and Z. Well, now I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Helps me stay focused, and it's really, I don't want to make excuses for myself. So I'm really taking this time to be creative, productive, and put my work out there. So I hope that you are doing the same and that your pivoting journey is going awesome. Today, as I mentioned, I have my friends from LMS. And LMS is an influencer and social media agency that champions incredible brands through innovative consumer-focused marketing services. They work with Influencers, celebrities, and startups, and they're going to get into today what all of that involves. Joining me today are husband and wife duo Denise and Tim Lambertson. Denise serves as chairwoman of the agency, and Tim serves as co CEO along with Kelly Reyes. What I love so much about their story is that they all came from the entertainment industry where they were working on talent management side and then went over to the brand side. But during their time in the entertainment industry, they were able to develop, maintain, and sustain relationships that actually helped them build out LMS and their other companies. They are incredible. And I met Denise... First, through a friend who had been working with her, and the connection was just instantaneous. And from there, we developed, maintained, and have sustained a relationship, and I am just so grateful that they're here. Again, I cannot stress how important networking is in order to elevate and excel your career and Denise, Tim, and Kelly, their stories, I guarantee you, are going to inspire you. And they're going to give insight into influencer marketing and what it's like to connect celebrities and brands together so that they, that they also form a bond, a unit. And that's when companies are successful. So please welcome lms to the show thank you to the three of you for joining me yeah thanks for having having us yeah thank you so if you could each just go into briefly about your background and how you got to where you are you know today that would be amazing
1: sure i'll uh this is tim speaking i'll start here so beginning of the career um we started i started off as a personal assistant in los angeles um working in the music industry specifically in um music licensing uh we did a lot of the licensing deals for the artist bon jovi um, and from there i was sort of always an electronic music fanatic um and i moved out of that Uh, i moved out of los angeles uh, life took me to London. From there, uh, I dove deeper into working for record labels, specifically in electronic dance music. Um, and it just so happened while I was living in London uh, on, the, uh, on a video set, I ran into Tracy Anderson. Um, from there, I worked to become Tracy Anderson's full-time manager um, and helped build and um, uh, create the Tracy Anderson Method along with Tracy uh, and her partner at the time, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, And from that point on, uh, things moved speedily. And after uh, I moved out of artist management, it was around the time where we all decided to have the conversation and move away from the artist side and really start working on the brand side.
2: I'll go next. It's Kelly. Um, I was born and raised in North Carolina and made a deal with my parents that if I graduated college early, I could go immediately to Los Angeles. And so drove my car out there and um, through my first job met Madonna's uh, manager's friend from high school. And she wrangled my, me into getting a, an interview with Madonna's manager, and I, knowing absolutely nothing about the entertainment industry, uh, somehow talked my way into that job. And that proceeded to really be the the boot camp that brought me to where we are today. And um, I, in that job, I was uh assist, first assistant to uh, Madonna's manager, Carice, and it's where I met Denise and also Tim. And um, stayed stayed there for about two years, went on tour, really loved that aspect of the job and stayed in touring for on and off for 10 years after that. Um, Transitioning during that time period from the artist side of the production side to representing the brand and really seeing full scale how experiential was getting woven into that story at the time and loved that and uh ended up at Deutsch as an EVP of experiential there building out their experiential department um and really all along the way working with Denise and Tim on projects and um in the last six years moved back to North Carolina uh Denise, Tim and I really started building the agency as it is today and building out our team
3: here and here we are and so this is Denise i started my career actually as an unpaid intern in that same office that kelly was just talking about for madonna's manager she referenced she was first assistant to madonna's manager i was fourth assistant to madonna's <laughs> manager i really quickly befriended kelly who helped me learn the ropes when uh kelly uh, when madonna and her manager parted ways i ended up staying on with Madonna directly and becoming her executive assistant, uh, which I did for the next six years and um, ended up being the launching pad for for my career. Um, it is what took me to London. And so, and Tim referenced earlier that life took took him to London. Um, we are we were engaged at the time, we're married now, but um, it was that job that brought us to London.
1: Wait, we're married? Yeah, I know. <laughs>
3: and uh you know that was an incredible experience it's uh one it taught me many many things um one of the really interesting elements of it that served to be very helpful in my future career was it gave me a really um high highly influential network um whether it was other celebrities or athletes or incredible fashion designers or editors of amazing magazines or DJs or whatever it was, um, I got to meet a lot of really interesting and incredible people through working for Madonna. Um, Ultimately, I left that job in the spring of 2009 um, and uh, quite naively thought the whole entire world was waiting to offer me my next big career move. I had been in a little bit of a bubble working for Madonna in London and hadn't been paying attention, Uh, didn't quite notice that the global financial crisis had happened, didn't really realize that there were no jobs out there and um, that nobody was waiting for me in fact. And uh, so when I left that job, I I knew that I didn't want to be in, um, I didn't wanna stay in music or entertainment. I had gone to school for marketing and I I really wanted to start that part of my career. Um, but I couldn't find a job. So I started to freelance and found that the majority of companies wanted to work with me because of my access to high profile people and my ability to <laughs> contextualize brand opportunities for them. Uh, and so in the beginning, I was working for, you know, freelancing for these really big companies, um, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, and helping them with their talent endorsement or talent wrangling strategies. Um, But the entertainers that I knew were asking me about equity for the first time. And it was, you know, right around the time that vitamin water had sold to Coca-Cola for $4 billion and uh, 50 cents had, you know, made, you know, as, as rumor tells it, uh, $125 million off of an equity position and revenue share. So there was this really interesting buzz happening in the entertainment industry about equity um so i started to look for startups to work with and i kept thinking i was going to find a company and go in-house and uh i got my first startup client and i uh, as a freelancer and i remember walking in there and it was there were like young people everywhere and There were ping pong tables and beer fridays and i was like oh man this is this is fun this is where i want to be um you know permission to fail and you know everything's a good idea it just felt so different from what i had been doing in the in the corporate world um so i really thought to myself this is an opportunity to to wedge in um i think i want to represent startups and i think i want to bring them to celebrities because they celebrities want equity and um, this can be, this can be my new move. And it was around that time that I started to feel like, I don't think I need a job. I, I think I have a business. Um, and you know, talked to Tim about it and put up, we put up a website and got some business cards and just started to walk around saying I was an agency. Um, you know, and it was, it was around maybe a year later after we had a little bit of proof of concept or maybe two years later. Um. Kelly had made the transition from Los Angeles back to Greensboro. And, um, you know, I started to be in a place where I had too much work to do on my own. And I was saying to Kelly, can you help me? Like, you know, we've worked together in the past I trust you. Um, and so she started to help and she was like the other account manager at the time. It was like her and I on accounts and, um, you know, very quickly realized i couldn't do it without her and so she became a partner and then um when we decided to add our social media service i looked to tim because he had been creating content and uh, especially with fitness influencers for a long time and so it made perfect sense for him to build that piece out and again you know i think our pivots have been a series of like happy accidents at the right place at the right time and all of a sudden, we had this like really robust kick-butt agency. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. So what was it like for the three of you, because you all were in talent management, to switch over, to transition over to the brand side? Um, how did you handle that brand as you did the celebrity or talent?
2: We're all kind of laughing silently Um, (laughs) uh, that transition was the easiest one that I think I've ever made. I mean, I think I really uh, deliberately because I, you know, I had been on the talent side for a long time and sort of there is a unique set of deliverables that are constantly required in that role and so working with the brand it was sort of this one step removed where you still get the the connection of working with talent but you are one step removed representing the brand and and really knowing how to navigate talent from the brand side it felt like a breeze i would say for me
1: yeah i i I might have been a little more reluctant um i enjoyed the Personal experience, a little bit of like the wild ride of of art of working on the artist side, a little bit like more on the management side. Um, but after a while, I I was ready. I knew that the time had arrived, and it was um, uh, the decision to make the pivot uh, felt like it was the was the right time.
3: I honestly feel like the skills that I developed in talent management have served me really well, especially with like startup founders the way that um, founders feel about their business is very similar to the way that music artists or TV uh, um, actors or film actors feel about their craft. It's incredibly personal. Um, It's they're very, very deeply passionate. Um, It can be emotional. It can be, um, you know, really, uh, they feel, you know, in some cases like major sacrifices are being made. It's all of that is really universal. So Mm -hmm. I thought I was walking away from like a, a, certain kind of uh, person and uh, needing to use those sorts of skills and i found that actually those skills were very very applicable to um to the way the kinds of clients that we have at lms
1: i mean and so is and i think one of the skill sets that you learn a lot of on the artist side i'm looking at you know denise and kelly um is patience mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think when you can take that patience that you learned with working with artists um, and roll that into, you know, working with staff in your own in your own business. Or same thing, working with founders, working with brands. Uh, that same level of patience, I think, is required.
0: And how do you practice a level of patience now with your clients and with your staff? Maybe the resident patience
1: yeah um, how do you practice patience Uh, first you need a daily meditation practice practice. (laughs) Uh, um, that is that is a prerequisite to training in patience. but I think in terms of practicing that with staff um, you you have to take on a coach mentality and I think what that means is that um, I had a long time ago I had a coach say to me Um, it was unfair of me to ask you to do that in a game because I haven't trained, we haven't done that in practice yet. Uh, and I'll take that on. That's my fault. And that's kind of some, that's, you know, a moment in my life that was years and years and years ago that I take into business every single day. I can't ask a staff member or a brand or any person that I'm having a relationship with, uh, a working relationship with to do something that we haven't trained in Um, previously because you're not setting somebody up to be successful there. And so uh, oftentimes it is a lesson in patience because you have to stop and then go and clearly organize and put some time around training somebody in that task or a new service or new product offering when really you want to move at a thousand miles an hour ahead um, and just want somebody to read your mind and do it perfectly the first time that is not realistic expectations and you need to slow down, practice your patience and take the time to actually explain clearly and go through it um, and really take the training time that it needs uh, regardless really of what that is. Um, Especially when it comes to pivoting, we're ready to pivot and just go. And um, without letting yeah, realize that scary. The talk, yeah, yeah, that can
2: be scary for people. So I think you know, being mindful of that
1: for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Denise, you spoke about once you left the position with Madonna and became a free freelancer, you thought everyone was going to be waiting to offer you a job, and then as you noticed that the startups really needed to be connected to talent, do you remember how you approached? Um, your first celebrity or client and said, hey, I have a startup that I think might be a good fit for you. If so, could you talk a little bit about that process?
3: I have always, um, even in the early days, felt that the authenticity and the connection to the product was the most important part. And you know, I understand that that's quite the buzzword now. And we hear it all the time. But Again, going back to when this first started, the brand celebrity relationship previous to startups was really transactional. It was, you know, uh, a really highly paid agency would do, um, you know, Q scores on the celebrity and see how they tested with certain audiences. And then they would, you know, use a procurement agency to go to a talent management agency to then, you know, hire the celebrity. And the, you know, the celebrity would sit on the other side of that and basically, look at a a piece of paper that said how much they were going to get paid and what they would have to do and say yes or no. Um, You know, with, of course, some other uh, layers in there, like, you know, there's no child labor involved and, you know, this is all legal, like those sorts of things, but they, it wasn't as connected to the product or the story or the reason that that business existed. So um, with startups, I, you know, I would take a, a group of products and it was a small group when I first started, but it was two or three different products to a celebrity and have them like try it and taste it and talk to them about it and um, or use it if it was beauty and, and like really not at all talk about what the opportunity was or what kind of services or how much they were going to get paid or in equity or otherwise, but really just try to connect them to the actual product or service and gauge their feedback. Um, they like it great, but like why? And, you know, what's the, you know, how does it, how does that participate in their lives? Is it because, you know, remind them of growing up and their parents, is it because it's something that they, you know, love to do on the weekends, etc.? And so really just value and personality alignment was really important to me from, from the beginning. And um, that I think inspired trust between uh, the brand and I, as well as the celebrity and I, that um, I was only going to suggest that they work with things that they really loved. And then I could say back to the brand, the person that I'm bringing that, bringing this to is gonna be a good partner because they really care about what you're doing. That was really different at the time.
0: And as a whole, how do the three of you maintain your reputation within the industry? And how do you continuously build on that reputation?
3: We only take on clients that we know we can help and that we know we can deliver for. Uh, That's been something that we felt from the beginning, especially with startups. Uh, You know, every penny counts when you're a startup. And so unless we know that we can knock it out of the park for them, we're just not gonna work with them. And that can mean something like, you know, is the product good? If like the three of us don't like it, we don't feel good about suggesting it to celebrities or influencers. It can also be, is what the brand asking us to do realistic? We're not just gonna sign with the brand and tell them, sure, this is, you know, totally we can get, you know the Obamas to endorse this and put it on their social. Right? Like it's just not realistic, right? So, um, you know, we're really we're purists, uh, and that that's because we um, both respect the brands um, and and we respect our own reputation.
1: I and you know another thing that I'm also always really proud of is that under no circumstance do we ever not honor a contract or something that we said we would do so if you know just as a loose example if a contract period ends in on march 31st and we have not fulfilled our obligations for whatever reason um, that's not going to make us stop we will continue working if that takes us another two months to to fulfill our obligations to a promise that we've made or a contractual obligation then we make sure that we go ahead and do that And I think, uh, regardless sometimes of how relationships go around uh, with brands, we honor our agreements. And uh, that's something that I'm quite proud of. And I think that's a good reputation builder as well.
2: Yeah, I, I would also add that having worked at large agencies, that you know a lot of times we talk to people that are, that are coming in feeling a little shell shocked from working with another agency or feeling like oh don't you know don't try to agency agency me and so we take that pretty seriously too that we sort of don't do just make big sparkly promises but really make sure it's things that we can deliver on and um, I think sometimes that's, that is harder. It's the harder route because you have to tell people things they sometimes may not want to hear, but it does help us develop trust. And I think that in the long run is how, you know, having that trust in those relationships, that's for us, I think what continues
0: to solidify our reputation. From when you initially started LMS how have you transitioned the company over the years?
3: It's been nonstop. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about social digital influencer. Mm-hmm. It's it's a constant, constant evolution. So in the very beginning, it was celebrity only. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, not all brands are ready for celebrity. Mm-hmm. We got to start thinking about people locally. And that was, you know, local in real life influencers. And if they had a social presence at the time, it was on Facebook because Instagram wasn't really a thing. And, you know, and then uh, that all of a sudden, Instagram was a thing and we started to evolve into that. And then yeah, it was influencers
1: like- were going to the social media assets of the brands that we were bringing to them and saying, these are bad. We mm-hmm. can't work with this brand because their Instagram doesn't have a aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And so there's, that's what we have to change that. So we'll have to start a social media part of our business in order to be able to fulfill those brand needs to help the influencer relationship or the celebrity service that we were that we were doing.
2: Yeah. And I would even say we built it into the way that we work now. I definitely remember you know, two or three years ago. Tim, you saying like, you know, there is no model that's going to work month over month in this atmosphere. Like we have to throw that out the door and be willing to adapt much, you know, much more rapidly. And so we, you know, I think about it now we have meetings on our calendars with the team called
0: adaptability, account adaptability, and that it's really become part of our ethos because it had to be. Throughout all of your transitions, you say that you're constantly pivoting. Is there a specific challenge that you face every time you do pivot within the company
3: you know uh, yeah i mean listen there's an inherent challenge to having three three partners <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> so you know we all deeply love and respect each other but also you know we'll get to a a, a point a point where we know we need to make a make a pivot we know we need to make a crucial choice and we'll all have different opinions on how to do it mm-hmm. so like You know, sometimes getting through that and we're, you know, obviously all very passionate about it and uh, and, you know, like I think navigating that is probably the biggest challenge to our pivot um process is that we can very clearly identify when it's time but then our approach on what to do is you know typically
1: and then we want it done tomorrow tomorrow. as a matter of fact (laughs) today that we want to pivot and then we want it done yesterday Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we let the team know that okay we're pivoting and this is what we want to do and And we need to teach that and then we realize Mm -hmm. quickly that all right Patients. Now we need to train them and we need I to know. build a standard operating <laughs> procedure, yeah. and we need to answer questions. Um, so I'd say speed after the pivot is something that's, a, that's quite challenging sometimes.
2: Yeah. I think we're because the three of us are all risk takers. I think we are like here for it. And often, you know, that that's not usually the issue with us. It is more about, you know, the, which, which thing we're going to do first, and who's going to do it, but we're pretty game for the risk, and I've noticed that that can definitely, like, with the team having to, you know, make, make sure everyone else is comfortable with that, or understands that that's sort of the nature of who we are, often we are, we're doing a lot of that, like, you know, it's going to be okay. We understand the risks if we're taking it in a calculator.
1: Sure.
0: Initially, it was just the three of you with maybe one employee, correct? And then over the years, you've onboarded other employees. What was that moment like for you when you reached 40 employees
2: it was pretty crazy I mean it happened really quickly we had about an 18 month period where we were just growing so rapidly and onboarding people so quickly that I don't think we we definitely did not sit down and say you know in 18 months we're gonna hire 40 people and here's the path Mm -hmm. to that Uh, it was certainly like looking back at it in shock um so, you know, Tim was over the moon and wanted to hire, you know, immediately 60 more and build out a huge team. And Denise and I were both like a little shell-shocked about how many people we had you know, become responsible for. But um it was, you know, it was all done intentionally. We decided we wanna grow we wanted to grow, but there's such a you know learning curve with that.
0: And how did your mindset uh Shift as well throughout all the transitional periods.
3: Most um, pivotal parts of pivots for us have been uh, learning when it's okay that we, what we pivoted to didn't work, mm-hmm. and like that is a part of the process of success. Is um, is letting go of some things that we were really attached to that we took a risk on, and. Um, And the risk didn't pan out. And that has been a mindset challenge for me, I get very attached, especially if it was like one of my ideas and, you know, realizing that it's not a reflection on, on me and not a reflection on my value or my, you know, what I bring to the business to say, hey, this one, this one didn't work, let's move on to the next. So that's been the real mindset shift for me.
2: Yeah, for me, it's been more about letting go of having such a framework for things and getting comfortable being uncomfortable with a lot of what we're doing, you know, pushing us out of our comfort zones or or into new spaces, Um, just sort of getting down with the fact that we're going to be continuously learning and uncomfortable and building and you know coming out of a corporate environment where things were very set and i felt like there was a very you know a plan that i could see and understand and execute that was a big shift for me
0: i
1: think i go in oftentimes every time we have a shift which i'm always like all right you got to believe like we're gonna make a shift and you gotta just believe that it's gonna happen and work um and I, i noticed just among the three of us as partners if any one of us or two of us or all of us collectively um, sort of you know, hit a downer moment where something's not working or we want to get down on ourselves, I think one of the greatest things about our partnership is that there's always one of us that's ready to pick the other two up by the bootstraps and, and say, hey, this is fine, this happens, we're going to get going, or um, you know, and, th- and that's sort of like a mindset shift right there, because if we all just stayed um, bummed out about something that didn't work out, then, you know, there. H- how do you move forward from that? How long is your depression phase going to last? Um, and we try and get over that as quickly as we possibly can and uh, rely on one another to shift the mindsets in that moment to to start a positive thinking and, um, and get back on the horse, so to speak, and, and get going.
0: So a lot of people advise against working with friends or working with spouses <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're doing it all. So how do you make that dynamic work between all three of you?
3: We've gotten really good at compartmentalizing, I think, um, when
1: we're working. I'm terrible at compartmentalizing you've gotten so much better
2: so. <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, we put a lot of work into it. We've, we've done a lot of, um, you know, professional and personal development things together. Um, and I think have, you know, a much stronger relationship now because of it. But I, to Denise's point, we definitely, it's interesting when people ask me that I, I, you know, I text with my friend, Denise, and I Slack and email with my partner, Denise. <laughs> and so we Aww. sort of, yeah, we have like a, a really strict line. Like we don't text each other about work. And um, we definitely, if we're hanging out on the weekends or in the evenings, we make a concentrated effort not to just have that be a continuation of our meetings from the day. And so Um, So combined with a lot of professional guidance and also a lot of effort on our parts, I think like the upside of it is so, so much more um, rewarding and valuable than any downside could be that, you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent.
1: Yeah, the trust is there, right? I mean, I think that's always the hardest part of, you know, that's always the hardest part of any partnership in business, I think, is you're trusting somebody with your livelihood, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. Um, and when it's your you know, closest friend, spouse, like the trust is already there, uh, then it's just kind of figuring out how to communicate in a nice way <laughs> 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 when times are getting tough. And um, knowing that, you know, we all tend to be quite emotional and that uh, we know that going in. Uh, and to Kelly's point, yeah, we put a lot of we put a lot of work in. We put it a good solid well i don't think it stopped yeah no. no. we're constantly working hard <laughs> both individually and as a collective to improve mm-hmm. our communication ourselves as human beings mm-hmm. and um put the but time in i
3: know podcasts live on forever but this is currently being recorded during you know the pandemic and th- like at times of high stress i, guess, I mean you know we I think the other night earlier this week, it was like eight o'clock. Tim started to be like, Hey, you know about that client thing. And I was, I was just like, You, know, I, sorry, Tim, I'm not doing that right now. Like, I don't want to talk about a client thing at eight 30 at night before, you know, we're going to watch tiger King and go to sleep. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: So
3: we have to yeah. remind each other of those things yeah. because, you know, especially in high stress moments, like that's yeah, when you really want to, you know, uh, confide in a friend or a spouse. Like, hey, work is really hard right now, and it's you know, we we try to to limit that with within the interactions with each other to work hours, and then we try to have other friends and other people in our life that we can say, hey work is really hard right now on the weekends when we're having that conversation too. So, so
0: talking about the client might have been better than the Tiger King. Fair enough. Well <laughs> made. You have some exciting news. You're expanding now over to venture funding. Can you just share a little bit about that and what you're doing with the company or with the fund?
3: Being a service provider for uh early stage businesses has been you know such a joy for us and watching them grow and then grow and getting acquired has been incredible but you know ultimately at some point we started to want to be a part of the whole story and we had many people along the way asking us why we didn't invest in things so we've had 18 clients get acquired in the last six years uh which is a pretty remarkable um Rate and you know, you know, people started to say to us a few years ago, "You should be investing. Why aren't you investing?" And we we have done some personal investments mm-hmm. into our clients along the way, but um, as we were investing in the growth of our own agency, uh, it just wasn't always feasible to take advantage of the opportunities that we were being presented. And then all of a sudden, it became really exciting for celebrities to invest in brands, and and that was. Um, a new, you know, another pivot in, in all of this was to be able to add that layer into into the work that we do. But, you know, we we had to be really careful about the way that we managed that because there's some pretty strict compliance issues around uh, raising money um, for other companies. Ultimately, we decided that we were going to start a venture fund um, where we could participate in the, um, in the fundraising with both the celebrities and athletes that we bring into these deals and in some cases have a celebrity athlete influencer as um, investors in our fund and you know it's been i think i speak for all of us to say that we were all a little bit intimidated by the concept of launching a venture fund I and mean, none of us have 10 years experience at you know a big fund or have finance backgrounds or anything like that but we have what what i didn't realize and i don't think uh uh, any of us realize is that a lot about a lot of venture a lot of success in venture investment investment is um, having access and having an eye for it and that we know we have so uh, when when we got our heads around that it all of a sudden made perfect sense like why not support these businesses with capital in addition to services um, and so we've spent the the last year raising, raising the fund and uh, have started to deploy capital and into some of them are our clients, some aren't our clients, and maybe will be one day, maybe won't. But it's really exciting for us to, you know, to be able to evolve our business, which we've always felt we, you know, we always say we're so invested in our clients, we're so and now we're invested in capital as well, which
0: is so cool. Yeah, congratulations. That's so exciting. thank Thank you so much. When you look back through this journey with LMS for each of you, what has been the proudest moment? You know, when you look back, and you think of an experience, you say, yes, I did that. That was because, you know, we put in 100% hard work and effort and it came to fruition.
3: Well, Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl, I have a lot. Uh, <laughs> I can give you a lot of credit for that. I mean, the first mm-hmm. Forbes article where where you interviewed me was, you know, a really proud moment for me. Um, I've never thought about being featured in that way before. And and certainly the Aww. follow-up article, we got to talk about the three of us. I mean, that that was such a proud moment um, for us and and for our team too. They all really, uh, it, it was a proud moment for them to be a part of a company that was profiled in Forbes. So, you know, I thank you for that and for giving us that really special moment.
0: Well, so. you're amazing.
3: So, ah, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, I feel like we have proud moments with, you know, there's a certain like maternal and paternal thing when any of our employees like have a really strong benchmark when they've done something and, or we get incredible feedback from a client about mm-hmm. an employee that always just feels so good. It it means mm-hmm. that the teaching and the the patience has really paid off, you know, certainly the launch of the venture fund and like, you know, really starting to deploy capital has been a, another one. Are you guys? I have any that you can think
2: of yeah i mean i definitely think that when we made the move to establish it an hq in greensboro sort of a unexpected proud moment for me was was having this this sort of come full circle where i left greensboro because i didn't see an opportunity for myself here in the space i wanted to be in when i came out of college and you know we were interviewing people that were considering moving out of greensboro to pursue the jobs they wanted to have and and then they found us and they were able to you know stay and really be a part of our team and be really proud of it and and then you know beyond that now we've invested in a building in greensboro and are really you know doing prioritizing making and making an impact here which is a really personal thing for me um and that you know i was speaking in an event at the Chamber of Commerce and it really caught me off off guard, like how proud that made me. So I would say that was a big one for me.
1: I think proud moments for me happen when it involves, you know, we've worked on a concept, we've coached a member of our team to execute a project in a certain way. Um, And my proud moments are when those that we've trained and worked very hard to train, that are you know either junior or coming up through the ranks within our agency, go on to do something that has created success for themselves and for the brands that they're working on, uh, and to watch them feel like they've accomplished something or or um, or or made some headway, had really positive response, made a campaign go viral, so on and so forth, made a great suggestion that you know pivotally changed somebody's uh track towards success whatever their goal was those are really proud moments for me um i like to watch them be happy and smile about it and uh and get a lot of love from their um from the other team members just saying like hey great job you did a great job uh and i you know we obviously like Good leaders let them take the victory and enjoy it, and 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 they deserve it. Uh, but that makes that's those are those are really proud moments when we just get to sit back and watch them be successful.
0: And my final question is: If someone came to you stating that they were about to pivot, what would be three essential steps you would share to help make that pivot successful?
2: So the first one I think is just that there is no perfect time. And I think often we get caught up in like having to have this, this plan that's, you know, perfectly laid out with the exact solutions in place. And really for us, we find time and time again where you you feel uncomfortable and you feel afraid and you feel so hesitant. That's typically an indicator that it's the exact right thing. So just, I think, that letting go of the perfect picture and leaning into getting out of your comfort zone and feeling uncomfortable is a big one.
1: I think once you've made that shift, you've made the firm decision that we're pivoting, um, that you have to now get after it. It's not something that you can just walk gingerly toward, um, to quote a great article um (laughs) you you absolutely have to run after it um and it is it's it's a moment in time where you've made the choice now go get it and do it and commit to it believe in it uh and and run after it
3: and i would be that uh so i um end up giving a lot of advice to assistants who want to make pivots and um i always remind them that they are, you know, and I would say this to anyone like you're valuable, you're worth it. Like just because you haven't done this before doesn't mean that you don't um you aren't smart enough and, you know, efficient enough and hu- like have enough hustle to to do it now. Like you are valuable enough and you should believe in that and you will figure it out.
0: Well, thank you to the three of you for joining me today. I really am- appreciate it. And you're so inspiring. So again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having you. us. I appreciate it a lot.
1: Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank
0: you, Carol. Yeah. Yeah. Join me next week as I share some tips on how you can build your self-confidence in order to make that pivot successful. You can follow me, Dr. C on Instagram at embrace the pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.